0: Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcventonville.org or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. I would love to introduce to you all our guest preacher today. Her name is Jana Kosnoff, and she is a certified lay speaker in the United Methodist Church. She is also a member of our congregation, and now as well, though officially, not until this summer, but already doing many things, working alongside our pastoral staff uh, to help in, in multiple forms of leadership, uh, in particular around outreach uh, in our community. And so uh, please, y'all welcome warmly and kindly, Jana Kosnoff.
1: Thanks, Ken, and I am just delighted to be here. Let us pray before we get started, okay? Gracious loving God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing unto you. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, and use us. Amen. So the book of Esther is what I'm here to talk to you about today. And the book of Esther is a unique book. It's funny, it's suspenseful, it's fast-paced. In every chapter, something is going on. But it almost did not make it into our canon um, for various reasons. In it, there is not a single prayer recited to God. We don't hear God's name praised, and um, in fact, we don't hear God's name at all. It's not in there, which is the only book in the Bible that's this way. Yet, we do see the providence of God throughout it all. If you haven't read this book, I encourage you to do so, and I'm actually going to put in a little plug make Pastor Michelle happy. Uh, many of us are reading through the Bible with this Bible year plan, and this is the time of Esther. If you haven't started reading through the Bible with us, this is a perfect time to get started because it's such a fun book, and the next book is Job, which is a really intriguing book. So jump in with us. Join us on Wednesday nights or Sunday morning if you want for Bible study. Um, the plan is on the website so uh, for the daily schedule. Before I jump into chapter 4, which I think is already up here, um, I want to set the book for you all because some of you may not have read it. It takes place in the 400s BCE and essentially what's happened here is that the king has fired his queen. Uh, he ordered her to come to a feast in which everyone was drunk and she said no and he fired her uh, based on the advice of his counsel and the next morning he sobered up and went, whoa, wait! I want a queen, and so he went out, um, a search was made throughout Persia, and uh, brought. they brought several young, beautiful, unmarried women in, and uh, Esther, a young, orphaned Jewish girl, becomes the queen of Persia. The scripture says that she won the king's favor and love, and through that, of course, she won the crown. Mordecai had ordered her when she came, Mordecai was her guardian, and he had told her to keep her Jewish identity secret. Jews were dispersed throughout Persia, and Mordecai knew that it was dangerous to be Jewish at this time. Jews only worshiped one God, you know, the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We also know him as the God of Sarah, Ruth, and Rahab. (laughs) Yeah, so um, many of the Persians thought the Jews were not religious because they refused to worship all of the other gods around them and therefore the Jews were looked down upon for partly for this reason. There was a man in the court named Haman and he um, was kind of full of himself. He had been promoted higher than all the other officials and he expected everyone else to bow down and kneel in front of him. Well, it was reported to him that Mordecai was not bowing and kneeling because he was Jewish and he wouldn't do it. So Haman became so angry that he decided not only did he want to kill Mordecai, he wanted to annihilate the Jewish race because probably none of them were going to bow down and worship him or kneel to him. So with some flattery and deception, um, he convinced the king to place an order for all the Jews to be annihilated. Now, Queen Esther was in the palace, but she had no idea this was happening. And she, um, this is where we're gonna pick up. She's gonna learn about this. And when she finds out about it, she has a decision to make. Notice all the back and forth between Queen Esther and Mordecai uh, through her servant, Hatak. Here is the word of God. When Mordecai learned what had been done, he tore his clothes dressed in mourning clothes, and put ashes on his head. Then he went out into the heart of the city and cried out loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate, because it was against the law for anyone to pass through it wearing mourning clothes. At the same time, in every province and place where the king's order and his new law arrived, a very great sadness came over the Jews. They gave up eating and spent whole days weeping and crying out loudly in pain. Many Jews lay on the ground in mourning clothes and ashes. When Esther's female servants and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, the queen's whole body showed how upset she was. She sent everyday clothes for Mordecai to wear instead of mourning clothes, but he rejected them. Esther then sent for Hatak, one of the royal eunuchs whose job it was to wait on her. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was going on and why he was acting this way. Hatak went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him. He spelled out the exact amount of silver that Haman promised to pay into the royal treasury. It was in exchange for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave Hatak a copy of the law made public in Susa concerning the Jews' destruction so that Hatak could show it to Esther and report it to her. Through him, Mordecai ordered Esther to go to the king to seek his kindness and his help for her people. Haytack came back and told Esther what Mordecai had said. In reply, Esther ordered Haytack to tell Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people in this province know that there's a single law in a case like this. Any man or woman who comes to the king in the inner courtyard without being called is to be put to death. Only the person to whom the king holds out the gold scepter may live. In my case, I haven't been called to come to the king for the past 30 days. When they told Mordecai Esther's words, he had them respond to Esther, Don't think for one minute that unlike all the other Jews, you will come out of this alive simply because you are in the palace. In fact, if you don't speak up at this very important time, relief and rescue will appear for the Jews from another place but you and your family will die but who knows maybe it was for a moment like this that you came to be part of the royal family Esther sent back this word to Mordecai go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and tell them to give up eating to help me be brave they aren't to eat or drink anything for three whole days And I myself will do the same along with my female servants. Then, even though it's against the law, I will go to the king. And if I am to die, then die I will. So Mordecai left where he was and did exactly what Esther had ordered him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I hate to spoil the ending for those of you who haven't read it, but Esther doesn't die when she goes to the king. But before we get too far ahead, I want to go back a little bit. As I mentioned, the book doesn't mention God's name anywhere. Yet we see that the Jews are tearing their clothes and dressing in mourning clothes and putting ashes on their head. This is a way that the Jews were crying out to God and expressing their faith in God. And when Esther tells them to fast for three days and they do it, and some of them had already started, That is also how we see their um, expectation that God is going to be at work. There is faith here. Verse 14 is one of my favorite verses in the book of Esther. It was the one that said, in fact, if you don't speak up at this very important time, relief and rescue will appear for the Jews from another place, but you and your family will die But who knows maybe it was for a time like this or a moment like this that you came to be part of the royal family mordecai's faith is so powerful here he is certain that god is going to be at work whether it's through esther or whether it's not i think it's a good reminder for us and it's also um, an acknowledgement that it's good to have a friend like mordecai who will and to be a friend like mordecai who will remind us that god is at work even when we're having trouble seeing it. He tells Esther that it's her responsibility to use her proximity to the king, her position as queen, to speak to him, to seek his kindness and help. I call this a divine opportunity. I look at divine opportunities as when we are in a specific place at a specific time to meet a specific need. And in doing so, we reveal God's love and God's power. Esther does go to the king, and while her actions do not completely save the Jewish people from harm, it does keep them from being annihilated, and many do survive. Now, Haman is also held accountable. That's another sermon that I would love to preach one day, Um, but not today. Um, I'm not going to give you the details, because I really want to encourage you to read the book. But here's what I do want to share. After the Jews fasted, and I also want to point out that fasting is a form of prayer. So we also see the Jews praying here. Esther chose to make use of those gifts that Mordecai reminded her of. Her position as queen, her proximity to the king. But I see additional gifts too. I see leadership where she led the Jews to pray. I see prayer as her gift and discernment as to how to go to the king and express her need for kindness and help and how to hold Haman accountable. You may or may not have heard of spiritual gifts. They're mentioned in our New Testament in various places, um, including Corinthians and Romans. Scripture tells us that each one of us has a spiritual gift. And I would love to go into great detail, but again, that's another sermon, um, and to, to really study spiritual gifts. But spiritual gifts are things that include what I just mentioned about Esther, the leading, the prayer, the discernment. Um, but it's also other gifts. Preaching is a spiritual gift. Now, I know many of you don't want to be up here doing this, um, and some of you might wish I wasn't up here doing this, but um, it's one of them. Teaching and service and leadership, um, administration and prayer, these are all spiritual gifts. If you are not aware of your spiritual gifts, I want to um, encourage you on two different avenues to discover what they are. One is Pastor Michelle's book, Gospel Discipleship. Um, It's more about your discipleship, but through it, and if you met with Pastor Michelle as well, you can learn about your own spiritual gifts and how you can make good use of those. There is also an online um, spiritual inventory. This is a book, but it's the same thing through the United Methodist Church. It's at umcdiscipleship.org. I encourage all of you at any age, to get online and take this little quiz and find out what gifts God has given you in your unique personality. And um, then pray and ask God how you can use those gifts to work in the church and in the community. We all can be using our gifts to help God's people. And when I say God's people, I do mean all of God's people, those in our four walls, and those out of our four walls, those in our community, those in our country, and those in our world, because we are all God's beloved children. We may not be able to help everyone in this world, but for those we can help, it will make all the difference. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that our spiritual gifts are given for the common good. They're not to lie dormant inside of us. They are to be shared with the world. Our gifts help us love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I know many of you are here, um, are working here at church and in our community and in our world. And I wish I could list them all for you so that you would know the many ways that so many of you are involved. But I want to point out one opportunity today. And of course, it's about Earth Day, which we're celebrating. We can all be at work. We're remembering today that God is creator, sustainer, preserver, and we want to celebrate this earth that God called good, all of his creation. So we can do small acts like reducing, reusing, recycling, repurposing. We can plant trees. We can support groups who do. Some of you are going to Havenwood next weekend to plant a community garden, and all of you are welcome and invited to participate in that as well. Uh, Some are putting solar panels on your house, or walking and biking more than driving, reducing your carbon footprint in other ways. And then we also, the United Methodist Church, has a group called the Church and Society, which is in Washington, D.C. And uh, some of you may be involved in the work they do, which is legislation, to help our environmental care and our climate justice work, as well as other issues. These may not all be spiritual gifts, but just like Esther, God has put you in a place right now, and there are divine opportunities out there that you can be speaking to and meeting with your position in the world as well as your spiritual gifts. Part of my work here at church as a certified lay minister is going to be community outreach and missions, working with missions that have already been going on here, but also developing new missions. One of my hopes, now that I've am i been here about seven months, so I'm getting to know some of you, but I'm looking forward to getting to know the rest of you. So I hope you will share with me the work that you are doing as well as the opportunities you see that we can be doing. Esther's divine opportunity was to go to the king to help her people in her time. I challenge you this week to consider your gifts, your place in life, your location, and if you haven't taken the spiritual gifts inventory, take it. And then when you know what your gifts are, pray about it. And ask God to show you the divine opportunities in your life. And if you need help, you can ask Pastor Michelle or me, or I'm sure anyone on the staff can help you in this. As Mordecai said, God will be at work in this world. Yet, like Esther, we all have a responsibility to do our part. And if we don't, who may be missed? John Wesley said, we should every one of us consider For what end God has put us in the place where we are? And when an opportunity offers of serving God and our generation, we must take care not to let it slip. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us in all divine opportunities that you have for us to encounter. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at FUMC Bentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all because we believe the communion table is God's table We invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.